Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Park Hill Church Podcast. This is Evan, and I have Dave Lomas here with me. Hey, Dave. Hey there. Hey, Hey, Evan. Dave graciously um, spoke at our church, and um, he gave this fantastic sermon that has started all kinds of great conversations in our church in a moment where it is greatly needed. Social justice and the way of Jesus. And the implication there is there's ways to, you know, go about doing justice and getting active that are not in the way of Jesus. And we're not interested in that way. We want to do it in the way of Jesus. Um, so at the end of the gathering last Sunday, I said, hey, send in your questions. If there's anything that, that came up in your mind, if there's anything that Dave said during his sermon that distracted you from the rest of his sermon and made you not listen because you were like arguing in your head <laughs> with Dave, then email us, let us know, like let us into your head. Don't be in your head by yourself. And so um, we would love to answer questions. And some great questions came in. And that's what this podcast will be about, this episode. Are you in, are you in Dave? Are you excited about that? I am here for this. <laughs> I am here for this. I've, right. been, I've been like you, leading in this space for the last few weeks. And not just, you know, in church space, but like text messages and feedback and social media. And, and it's really weird that I feel like I have to keep prophetically provoking and pastorally caring at the same time. Yeah. And you know, you get exhausted. So, yeah. Um, but I'm here for this. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. I know you've had a, a, a huge week and you're going to Sabbath hard in the next couple of days. Uh, you better believe it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, your, your community has been led well and reality San Francisco has, lit the way for many communities, Park Hill included, in what it looks like to enter this conversation wisely with the scriptures in view all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and doing it from a place of intimacy with the Trinity, um, motivated by the love of God and love of neighbor. One thing, Sandy, my wife said recently, it's like we, we, you know, 39 and under, whatever age that is, or 40 and under, um, tend to want to jump straight to love your neighbor where the love of the Lord, your God part is mm-hmm. um, quite often by, well, in effect, by, we want to jump straight into activism and, and uh, not necessarily take an audit, a spiritual audit of whether we are grounded in intimacy. Um, and so mm-hmm. I thank you, Dave, for that, that balanced, very beautiful um, marriage that you presented us with, the marriage of loving God and loving neighbor on Sunday. And it was great. So thank you. Yeah, my pleasure. Because um, we all want to love our neighbor right now, like love our neighbor hard, because uh, our neighbors are crying, and uh, yeah, we want to be with them. And so uh, on on that, there were some great questions that came in. Uh, I think I texted them to you here. So first, first of all, let's let's just talk in general about your sermon. Um, it was like thirty two minutes, <laughs> mm-hmm. and you went straight to this text that a lot of us growing up in church have heard a ton. Jesus heals a guy on the Sabbath. But I've never heard it taught this way, where you pointed out that Sabbath, which is a good thing, had become something that was less than good in Jesus's day. Can you unpack that? Because um, I know you're super into Sabbath. Yeah, I mean, Sabbath was, uh, I mean, designed with man in mind, right? To give man and woman, mankind, rest. And that rest would, um, would 
lead them into all the vocational work that they were called into. And I was even reading this thing uh, from uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs that he was saying, actually, the Sabbath was supposed to practice you for the Messianic age. And there was no division between you and even your livestock. You were all the same and everyone rested. It was was amazing, mind-blowing. So, of course, in Jesus' day, um, it was still a very, very beautiful thing. But Jesus kind of like poked against what had become. He did this a few times at the very uh, end of chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4 because it had become a bunch of boundaries around keeping people, you know, in or out. That's what the religiosity sort of did. And Jesus does that, and he kind of challenges that, and he kind of breaks that down. Uh, by healing this man on the Sabbath. I just, I think what I've always loved about this, this story is how Jesus defiantly healed him. Yeah. He knew exactly what he was doing. And he had the person stand up and he looked at the Pharisees and he just like got so mad. I think that drew me to the text at the beginning. Like I hadn't, I actually hadn't planned on teaching this text. I was actually just meditating on it that week. And I was, and then I was meditating on it with the elders and with the staff. And then it just kind of got into my psyche and I started seeing like, oh my gosh, like what's happening right here? Yeah. It's like Jesus is so angry at injustice. Yeah. He's so angry at the system that we put around injustice that he has to subvert the system, break the system to start yeah. freeing people. And that word uh, system, that's, that's kind of, um, that gets to the heart of what's going on today. And it gets to kind of the allergic reaction that some people have to this conversation, I think. Yeah. Um, and it's not the only time Jesus went straight for the jugular vein of the system. Like the most yeah. famous, probably the most famous is when he gets the angriest and walks into the temple and turns over tables. Yeah. That was not just, um, you know, that, 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 was a, that was a move against a system that was keeping the oppressed out. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, he, he kept on that. that yeah. I mean, the, the um, Pharisees, I mean, Pharisees were actually the, the people who kept the law, like law and order, like legitimately. Yeah, yeah. Like the other ones said, that's out of bounds, and they, they can actually punish you for breaking the law. Yeah. So they had created a system that Jesus, that's why they killed him, right? Yeah. I mean, he broke down their system. Yeah. And I think, you know what's beautiful, at least that I've seen in our community. Cause I got on the phone with a lot of community leaders in our church the Monday, the day after you spoke. And um, <clears throat> it's beautiful to see our community. So unified in this conversation. Uh, there's one community that has a couple law enforcement families in it. Oh yeah. And, uh, and the, I was talking to the community leader and he's like, you know, it's been beautiful. Um, you know, cause often one spouse isn't in the zoom community meeting because the other spouse is working extra long hours right now as a cop. Yeah. Um, and both families are so aware of the importance of protest in this moment. So beautiful. Yeah. Like I'm there, you know, the, he- I, the headlines, I, the, the hashtags and the quick blasts on social media don't, they have not been reality for me. What's been reality is to get involved in my community and to see the unity and the beauty, um, on this. So, Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that is, I mean, some of, of course, people kind of read, and I do this on purpose, right? Uh, pastors do this, you do this, I do this. We we are provocative to provoke and evocative to kind of stimulate the mind. And, and we want people to connect dots mentally, 
And some dots that connect are kind of a little further than we would go. Yeah. And then some of them are not as far as we want them to go. Right. Yeah. And sometimes when they're hearing this term like this, it, some people have accused me of like, you hate, you hate police. You want to defund the police or whatever. Yeah. I mean, whatever, I never that said anything means. like that. Yeah. I never said anything like that. Like that is not at all what I was talking about. I think, you know, our um, people who work in, uh, in, in policing our society need to be the people that are, are leading this, helping lead this conversation of listening, help or helping to listen in this conversation to help uh, show, um, show, especially in the church, right? Our police officers in the church to show the way forward of, of reconciliation, of show yeah. the way forward of like owning the story and show the way like that needs to happen. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I obviously, I, the, the next Sunday I followed it up. Um, this teaching with a teaching at my church on Exodus, the first part of Exodus on allies. And the point was that allies can come from anywhere, like from what, who you think are the enemy, like Pharaoh's daughter and the midwives. So and beautiful. if you think that um, people mm. in government or even people in the police, uh, in the police force can't be allies, you've missed what, like the subversiveness of God, you missed it. Yeah. Cause this is like God overturns, like the, the, the most, his biggest act of justice in, in the Bible, it starts with two allies from the, from quote unquote, the enemy camp. The and, midwives. Um, the midwives and Pharaoh's daughter. And they're named. They're, I love that. And they're named, right? Sifra and Pua. I mean, you, that's just, and if you can't see that, like it comes from anywhere. So the cops, the police aren't, aren't the enemy and the government's not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. You have to make sure that that's straight. And come and, on. And allyship and justice can start from anywhere. Oh, so that's a great segue um, to, I want to ask about your community. I, I didn't plan on this until five minutes before we got on, but what are, what are some of the, some of the questions that came out of this teaching uh, in your community? Uh, some of the most pressing questions, they might be in ours. Uh, I would imagine so. Yeah. I mean, I think um, a lot of the questions were um, defining terms like, mm-hmm. Could you help for us understand, like, you know, for those that that team tend to lean a little bit more conservative in our in our community, and there's several, there's a lot of them. Mm-hmm. Um, even in San Francisco, there's a lot. Um, they're they're cautious of like when you say social justice, are we supposed to like adopt just full on the ideology of where a lot of this um, this movement is coming from right now? So those are the questions that a lot that we've been, I've been in conversation the last few weeks. Um, like where, where, where does this motivation come from? And I'm, I'm trying to do this and I have to, you know, I try to do it very provocatively, but I try to make sure that this is coming from biblical and um, scriptural and gospel motivation, like not a political side, not an ideology, um, but from God, like, like gospel motivation. I want to show you, I'm like, I'm trying to show them like, this is how, this is what happens. But the thing is, is that we sanitize the Bible and romanticize it so much. Yeah. We think that it's yeah. We think clean. It's, we think it's just talking to us all the time. Like talking yes. to, like talking to the American sitting yeah. in front of the Bible. Like this is if a letter. If we got to- into it, like if you got into Exodus, if you got into the first century, it was uh, more political. I mean, imagine the society wasn't as just as our society is today, even though our society is still pockets and places of injustice. 
but it was way, I mean, just our country a hundred years ago. Imagine, you know, being a person of color a hundred years ago. And now like my friend, Brian Loritz says, you know, like I'm, I'm, he says, I'm a black man who, you know, I own a house in the Bay area. And I, I mean, my, my life is good compared to a hundred years ago <laughs> of my, of my ancestors. So I'm not complaining here. I'm not angry. What he would say is I'm not an angry black man just saying, um, he goes, but we've made a lot of progress, but there's still a lot, a long way to go. Right. So if you, if you drop yourself in the world of the first century or even in the world of Exodus, I mean, it was, it was insane. And we just kind of read it kind of thinking it's, you know, it's fine or whatever. Like God had to challenge power structures. So if we think that, that our democratic nation, our, our, uh, our, you know, capitalism would not be judged by Jesus. We're, we're insane. We're yeah. absolutely insane. If we don't think that that would miss the purifying gaze of Christ. Yeah. So that, so, so that, that leads me to this question. What um, is this conversation around racial justice and reconciliation? Is it a political one? Cause it often gets sucked into this category of this is political. Don't get political from the in church or whatever. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I hear that uh, a lot. Yeah. So how do you, how do you parse that out for people? Well, a couple ways. One, um, I, I don't, the, 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 um, maybe the foundation of this conversation is not political. It's very, it's got, it's gospel. Me, when I say political, it's not, um, from the, the two main political parties in our nation. It's yeah. not, it's um, not partisan. Republican. It's not partisan. A very good way of saying it. It's not partisan. It's this, this, this conversation, um, equality made in the image of God, and a biblical sense of justice where there's special concern for people who are oppressed, poor, marginalized is biblical justice. Wherever it is found, the gospel has to press into those areas and you have to show special concern. We have to use power and wealth to spread out power and wealth to the disadvantaged. That is just, I would imagine, I would say it's like basic biblical justice. Yeah. Um, So in that sense, no, it's not political. But in a sense of when that then goes from the the context of scripture into our context, oh, it's going to get very political. And the reason why it's going to get very political is because you can't talk about any of these things without pressing into policy and pressing into how people vote and pressing into how people kind of live. So that's all politics. Yeah. So I think people's reaction to don't get political, what they're saying is just teach us uh, Jesus in the sense of like, don't press into the places where Jesus got himself killed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Jesus obviously was like, I mean, the first century church was Jesus Lord's. It was political. I mean, I love your, your teaching on this is excellent. So, you know, you can like take it from here, but you know, that's, it's a political statement. So I think it gets political as it, as we take the scriptures and, and like apply them and embed them and live them out in our, in American context. It just will have to get political. Yeah. Um, but it, that doesn't where it gets its motivation. So when people from um, the more conservative camp get really nervous that this conversation is is um, coming from uh, the the progressive left, um, I would just say what N.T. Wright said in his amazing paper on this last week was that it's because the church has surrendered the conversation to the left. Yeah, or should have been coming from the church. It didn't, and because it didn't. Um, then we've surrendered the conversation over to, to wow. the coming from the left. And so, so powerful. Yeah. I think Matt Chandler called it. We've surrendered our inheritance of prophetic 
Yeah. Of the, dude, we, yes, our prophetic so inheritance. Um, gosh. Yeah. Uh, I so, hope enough, enough people that people trust, right. The Matt channels of the world, the anti rights of the world, there'll be enough people that people have listened to forever. I hope enough of these enough people that we trust pastors that we trust leaders that we trust speak up to, we can't ignore this anymore. Yeah. One way I heard a guy in Portland say it, he was, he, he, Matt, his name was Matt Michalaitos. He He's like, Black Lives Matter as a statement is an intensely Christian statement. And if you cannot say it out of fear for aligning yourself with a group that also supports unbiblical ideas, then you should have came up with it first. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think that's the biggest reaction that I'm finding, especially um, in the world of Facebook, which is such a bad world. Um, is that they're defending something that you don't, you don't have to, you don't have to defend this. It's you, you don't have to, like you can actually take gospel motivation and, and do this work. Yeah. And I don't, I don't even know what you're trying to defend right now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think if enough, again, if enough, I think if enough people that everyone trusts say, says this, I hope that it, that the church can lead in this way. Cause I think what the church can do better than any other ideology is that it can offer um, forgiveness mm-hmm. and reconciliation where council culture can't. Right. And, and hope um, like at the end of Tahanisi yeah, Coates totally. whole Tahanisi Coates, you know, atheistic justice mm-hmm. guy. I mean, he has some great things to say, but in the end I feel so hopeless after listening to him talk. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, Oh my gosh, I feel so, but like, you need, you need Brian Stevenson. You need you need the hope that comes from the gospel. Yes. You, know? you need that hope. You need to like keep going. He would call his justice work. I mean, one of the part of his thing is like, you need hope to carry on. And if you do not have hope, then you're it's hard to stay in this conversation for a long period of time. Yeah. That Revelation seven is our inevitable future. That all nations gathered around our Jewish king. <laughs> all nations yeah, and, will be there. Yeah. And I just want to add, um, I want to add the fact that all nations are seen. Mm. So the, the goal isn't to not see ethnicity and race. That's Huge. not the goal. Oh, right? I'm so glad you said that. I'm so glad you said that. So many. See it. Yes, if you don't like, see it, why would, you, why would that be then Revelation? It would say, and then there was a bunch of people who all looked the same. Okay, so there you, so this, this came up too. That's a, great, that's a great moment to capitalize on because... Um, you mentioned very quickly in your sermon, you know, that there is uh, racism in the evangelical church and you just kind of said it quickly. You, you, you alluded to it quickly. Is, is that like color blindness? Is that what you're speaking to? Oh, there's all kinds of ways. Yes. One of them is uh, color blindness, which basically just keeps dominant culture dominant. Um, that's what that does. And, and the words of there's my little boy. Oh, Hey, in the words of um, Tom Wright, and I don't know, Michelle, maybe you could put a link to his, his paper that he just wrote on dismantling racism. He would say, um, he would say that uh, when it comes to, to this, to this uh, conversation, um, that, that we need, when people say, you know, like, we need uh, all races represented and all ethnicities represented, and we need to be equal, he said, what a... Uh, a, a black female uh, commentator who wrote a great commentary, I think on Acts or something, he said, 
came up to him and said, when you say that, what you're basically, what we hear you saying is that you can become honorary white men mm. if you want to. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, snap. Like yeah. if, if Tom Wright snapped, it would snap. He would snap at that moment. Like, yes. And we have to change that. And so I think that um, in, in, I mean, this is a whole different teaching, but we have to name our, the church's complicity to white dominance um, and see not, the, the idea isn't to become a mono ethnic church, but that we would actually become a multi-ethnic church so that we could be the, the best picture of the idea, like God's idea for the church, a, a family of God made up of different tongues and tribes and nations, all this stuff, all coming together. Um, yeah. yeah. Again, Tom Wright talks really greatly about this. So yeah, I think that's the goal. So to name that there's all kinds of things to name. I mean, there's, there's complicity in the church in America with slavery and racism. Um, and then that's transferred over to dominant culture. That's a nice way of saying it. Uh, a really bad way of saying it is white supremacy. Um, I know that's triggering to some people and mm-hmm. they just in the conversation, but say dominant white culture. Um, and, um, and color blindness is kind of all there in the church. We have to see it. We have to, I think we have to see it and name it the way that, that uh, Paul would say in, in Ephesians, to, to name the walls and tear the walls down, right? The yeah. dividing yeah. wall. Like what's, what's the walls that, that kind of keep us separate? Name them. And then how do you dismantle them with gospel motivation? So I'm uh, a non-American dude in our church. He's uh, from Europe. And he, and he asked, you know, he's, he admitted, I, I don't get it. He's like, I, I don't get like the whole American race thing yet. I want to, but he's asking, he's like, I agree that there are unjust systems uh, of racism in the world. And he's like, how do you fix the system without influence? Hmm. Like, I don't like how it seems you need a voice. You need a voice to make a difference. Um, and it kind of pairs up with the other question. Like, what if I'm called to something else? Someone, someone asked out of your sermon, like, what if I, what if I'm just called to charity? Yeah. Um, and I'm not called to use your analogy. I'm not called to walk up the river. I'm just called to help people in the river right in front of me. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think both, both is important, right? Both, both is, both those things are really important work. I think they're tied together because I think, um, you would need both because I think, I don't know if in our lifetime we'll be able to to keep all the babies from falling into the river um maybe not maybe but probably not so we'll need both we'll need people to do that to, to diminish the number of babies uses analogy right babies in the yeah. river and people to still care for them and pull them out so we need both of those happening so i think to answer your question how do you get to work on this when you don't have influence if enough if enough people can name and see the complicity of the the church in in this in this sin in in, in our country and if enough people really hope for a mono-ethnic, mono—I mean, a multi-ethnic, multicultural church—and we all give ourselves to that and value that and see all the beauty in that, my wife just walked by. Um, actually, tried to crawl by. That was a horrible crawl. <laughs> Wish you saw that. Um, if enough of us gave us to that, so we all became educated. If the whole church did this, and obviously, I think it has to be led by leaders and pastors. But if we all saw this, then I think this, I think the system would crumble would fall apart because we would, we'd say we're no longer complicit in it. Yeah. We're no longer going to be a part of it. We're not, we're going to be free. We're free. We're free. We're free from the system. Um, 
but it takes enough of us to see it, which is really the the battle that's happening kind of on social media right now, which isn't, I don't and, even know if it's helpful. And in, but but not, on, not only in social media, the battle's happening like in families. Yeah. So, yes, totally. So one, one community unanimously, they're, they're, you know, over 50% of our church is between 18 and 29 years old. Yeah. Um, and so they, one community got together. They're like, yeah, I, I want to be able to talk to my parents about this in a way that helps make sense of it. And, and Oh, you too. I do too. Oh, you too. Me too. Like, yeah. like how, like how do you, um, like one person asked the question in an email in, in, um, like what's our role as followers of Jesus when engaging with those who just, uh, deny the whole conversation. Yeah. Like family or friends, like what's the emotionally intelligent and healthy way, especially in a cancel culture where you just want to like cut ties and like de-voice people. Like how do you, how do you do, how do you do this conversation? Especially if you're just talking to your friend who's like, no, there's no, there's no system. There's just sin in individual hearts or whatever. Yeah. 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 I think this is the, this is, I think it's the work of obviously the work of pastors, work of leaders, but how we do that in the, on an individual level, um, I think just continuing to have these conversations and having the long game in view that you might not change someone's heart or mind in a week or a month. Um, but this, this, uh, current, uh, flare up, this like unrest that's happening, that's kind of boiling over is a good place to like help, like try to start conversations to go, what do you think about what's going on? And what do you think about like start a conversation piece, whether it's sending like, Hey, let's watch this movie, just mercy together or something, which is like free everywhere. It's free everywhere. And it's incredible. Let's watch this movie together. Have you seen this movie? I would love to talk about this movie with you. Um, Access points, right? On ramps, always looking for on ramps. Most people are looking for off ramps in this conversation. Help people like find on ramps. Like, yeah. Send them that video from the VeggieTales if they're Christian. Like, if you remember VeggieTales, look at this just came out. I'll have a conversation. The Phil that, Vischer, you know? the 17 minute Phil Vischer video. Is that what yes. you're talking about? So good. It's, it's so the new Jim, it's the whole book, New Jim Crow in 17 minutes. Yeah, it, it really is. It's really incredible. So, like that kind of stuff, like sending them that, or if they do want to send a sermon along, hey, my church is Thomas. Love to have a conversation about it. Like that, like send them digestible. And of course, be willing and be open to them. going to send you, they're going to send you probably 50 things, right? And listen, and then yeah. having conversation. I've been in that for weeks now with super intelligent people, way more intelligent than I am. And it's just back and forth and back and forth. And you feel like I can't, I, I mean, I feel tired. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I am exhausted. I can't get you to see what I see. And, um, that's, that's, that's the hard, that's the hard work. And, but I think this is worthy work. Can you imagine like I'm white, you're Brown. Imagine our black brothers and sisters in the middle of the exhausting conversation, having to, having to like give a hundred miles. Oh, I know. Having to hold space, having to give room for other people to be like, no, I can't. I, yeah, I was literally thinking about that today like how exhausted i am i think of my friends who i've been in this like for mental health like for mental health for our black but they shouldn't even have to do that (laughs) yeah yeah totally which is why i think those those uh the the people that have been in this conversation um that like so for my my black uh friends community um family that that been in this conversation a long time. Those that just 
you know, been a part of enduring this conversation, they're exhausted. But then those that have led in racial justice and try to do all the work of understanding all the perspectives and how do you enter in and on ramps and off ramps and all that stuff. Like they just, actually, they kind of already know. They're like, I'm, I'm going to need some rest. Don't text me. I've even got those text messages. Don't text me right now. I can't do this. Mm. I'll engage in a week. I need some rest. I'm like, totally. So they, I think they, but I, I get it. Like they, I cannot imagine. I don't know. Like, I don't know. I, I, I felt personally attacked when people go on whatever, you know, or text and I get I've, I've actually, I failed a few times to just lost my temper. Yeah. To be honest, I just I'll, said, I'll, I'll, I'll take it in an optimist, in a positive direction. I talked to family recently, family members, one younger who said, Evan, this is the first time I've watched a video. The George Floyd video. This is the first time I've seen a video like it where I was able to fully move beyond the realm of suspicion into caring. Wow. Like I was able, I, I was cognitively able to shed suspicion and grieve. Yeah. I was like, when? Totally. And then, and then an older family member, like much older than me, same day, like Evan, I don't understand why. Like Miles McPherson, who's doing his whole third option thing. He's speaking to this space. He's, you know, person of color with a father and a son who are both in law enforcement. And yet he's speaking into this space really well. And he's like, I don't understand why miles McPherson sees a systemic issue. He's like, I still think the constitution, like he's very, you know, conservative. Mm -hmm. Like he, he sees the word systemic as two clicks away from undermining the constitution. So he like, yeah, must steer clear of the whole deal. But he's yeah. like, but here's the most important thing. He's like, that's all my opinion. Here's the most important thing. For the first time ever, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I am open. Because mm. yeah. there, there must be something about the world I'm not seeing. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. You know how, how that video, Vischer, is that his name? I always forget his name. Phil Vischer. Yeah. yeah. I love the way it ends. I mean, I'm not going to give it away, but he's just, just care. I was actually talking with Eugene Cho today and he, I was like, how, how do you get someone to see, start see, where do you start with this conversation with someone? It's like, we, we, everyone has to start with empathy. You have to care. Yeah. And if you don't care, um, th then there's no way forward. You have to care. I think that's just a really good place to start with anyone. Like try, try to get them. Like, do you see, do you see the plight? Do you see the, there's something about the anger and the sadness and the rage going on. Just care, just care. Yeah. You don't have to fix it. And you don't have to say that, you know, you're switching political parties or that your nation is like the worst nation in the world. No one's saying, telling you to do that. Just care. This is going on. And we all want to make kind of our, our, our cities, our neighborhoods, our country better. So let's care about this. This is really important. Before we end, I just want to, have you unpack that last point? Like one of the repeated feedbacks from your sermon amongst our community leaders was, yes, give me some practical application now. Like let's move to a solution now, um, which we all want. Once we start caring, we want to start fixing. Yeah. Um, the, the most helpful thing that I've, I think I've read is um, at the end of Jamar Tisby's book, The Color of Compromise, he does this thing called ARC, which is, um, awareness, 
relationships, and commitment. And I think that's something that any anyone can do. So awareness is just get educated, start reading stuff like the 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 vegetables video, whatever. Like just do that. Read books. Start asking. Um, I mean, I would ask your pastor, ask Evan, like, what, 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 where should we start? What books should we read? Like, start educating yourself. Make, make yourself aware of what's going on, that there is a, a whole sort of um, way that maybe people that are not, that look, don't look like you don't have the same experiences. You have experienced our world, our, our churches, and our nation. Yeah. So be aware. The second is start building relationships. Start building relationships that are uh, multicultural start building relationships. Don't be exhausting, meaning don't be the friends like, oh, you're, my, you're my new brown friend or my new black friend or whatever. But like start building yeah. relationships, you know, yeah. um, in the church and, and outside the church and just build relationships. Build relationships with organizations that you can start volunteering at or, or, or donating to. Build, re- build relationships with people who are doing this work and have done this work before you ever got into it. Just build relationships. And lastly, be committed because this flare up won't last, you know, another two months, we can't endure it, like our bodies won't be able to endure it. So it'll, it'll, it'll ebb um, or flow. I don't know what that whatever it goes when it goes down. I forget. Um, so be committed to this over a long period of time. Yeah. Um, and know that the way our race and belonging ministry says it, it is a marathon, not a sprint. Love that. So um, because of that, like, Plan on every year around this time. I'm going to read another book, or I'm going to have these conversations, or I'm going to I'm going to stay with it. What's going on, or who do I follow on on social media that keeps this for me, this conversation going, and me growing in this area? So, uh, awareness, relationships, and um, and commitment. It would be, I would say, very practical next next steps. That's great, Dave. Um, thank you. I just can't thank you enough. Yeah, my pleasure. Like just the last couple of weeks, you've, you've given a lot of thought, prayer, uh, time, uh, and support to our community in San Diego. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. And, uh, yeah, we, we are committed to this. Um, and I love what you guys are doing with the race and belonging cohort. It's like, it's guaranteed not to just be a flare up or just be a sermon series, but it's baked into your your DNA. Um, yeah, it's our hope. Yeah. There's sure. a, there's a diverse table at the heart of reality, San Francisco, which I love Yeah, We're praying absolutely. for that in San Diego. So Dave, yeah, you're amazing. You have a good start. And uh, yeah, that's it. You guys, uh, everybody who's listening, this is, this is something I am committed to for the rest of my life. Um, and you know, Lord willing San Diego for the next, at least 30 years, we're going to be move, moving towards Jesus's vision for unity in whatever way we can. Um, those of you that heard the spirit and race conversation from two Sundays ago, that was the beginning of what I think will be beautiful and difficult and needed. So if you haven't seen that, go on to you know our YouTube page or whatever and watch that again and listen to the stories of diverse experience, lived experiences from within our church. And, and let's just join the fight, the nonviolent peacemaking fight for, um, the vision of Jesus to be realized on earth as it is in heaven, in San Diego as it is in heaven. Um, but yeah, uh, thanks, Dave. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So, uh, may the Lord bless and keep you all. Have an amazing week.